0: So welcome, everyone. We are so delighted to have have with us today, Dr. Danielle Gadson, who's an assistant professor of the Department of Public Administration to talk with us about key strategies in advancing community health equity. My name is Katherine Wilson, and I'm the chair and an associate professor in the Department of Public Administration, also at Villanova University. Before we begin with the interview portion of the podcast, I'd like to play a short clip that Dr. Gadson sent us regarding the importance of understanding health disparities. And this clip is from Dr. Lovell Jones, who is the director of the Center for Health Equity and Evaluation Research at the MD Anderson Cancer Center.
1: Health disparities across the spectrum. Uh, from diabetes to cardiovascular disease to other chronic uh, diseases as well, Uh, asthma. Uh, uh, If one looks at uh, populations with specific alcoholism, uh, people don't think about that as a health disparity, uh, but it is as well. Health disparities, uh, even in terms of cancer, Cancer. People think of cancer as one disease, and it's more than a 100 diseases. I think the issue with regards to addressing health disparities uh, for the nation, uh, for populations, for individuals, boils down to um, the lack of uh, how we will proceed as a nation. Unfortunately, as a nation, uh, we think that health, and health disparities is a problem of the poor and a problem of minority populations. When it's a problem of all Americans, uh, the idea that if you have diversion that's caused by individuals who don't have insurance going to the emergency room, that diversion, which means you can't get care, affects everyone, whether you have money or don't have money. We don't think about that as a nation until it occurs. If we don't address that issue, then as a nation, uh, we're not a viable nation. I often say that an unhealthy nation, an unhealthy state, an unhealthy region, an unhealthy city is not an economically viable entity. And right now, given where we are with regards to health disparities, we're becoming more and more less viable as this becomes a bigger and bigger issue.
0: So Dr. Gadsden, it's a real delight to have you here today to talk about an area of interest, both scholarly interest and also um, professional interest for you. And I wanted to start um, with the question about if you could tell us a little bit about your educational and professional background. I know that you have worked in and managed community health organizations Can you discuss some of the things you've learned from that experience?
2: Sure, and thanks for having me. So by training, I'm a public administrator and a medical sociologist, focusing on the equitable implementation of public health initiatives. Um, So I hold a Bachelor of Science from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania, with a specialization in organizational management. Um, I also have a Master of Public Administration from our program here at Villanova with a concentration in nonprofit management. And finally, I have a Master of Arts and, and PhD in sociology from Temple University with a focus in medical sociology. Uh, Professionally, I have over 15 years of operational management experience spanning in both the private and public sectors. Um, And the primary thread that has run through my educational and professional background is the management of operations and people giving special care to the social factors influencing individuals' work performance and life outcomes. I've found both anecdotally and statistically through my research that physical and mental health has a significant impact on the lives of people and communities. And I'm interested in learning more about that.
0: That's excellent. And just a follow-up question to that, because you were talking about the thread that runs through your professional and educational background. How did you first become interested in the study of medical sociology? And what are some of the core concepts in medical sociology that are relevant to the field of public administration?
2: Right. So medical sociology is the study of social factors that shape society's perception and understanding of disease and diagnoses. So while there's certainly a biological side to disease, medical sociologists focus on the lived experience of the disease. And this is also the aspect that public administrators often interface with. So while biologists develop treatments for disease, public administrators are often tasked with implementing policy that ensures and improves healthy communities. So public administration provides a very interesting lens and in, in prism from which I can view the work of medical sociologists.
0: That's really, um, that's really fascinating. I think your point about the lived experience of d- disease is quite important Um, especially among those of us who are in the field of public administration. Another topic that you have written about in your dissertation was the importance of health equity, especially in underserved communities. Can you explain to us what health equity is and what it entails?
2: Yes, this is a really important concept for us to understand as public administrators. Um, The difference between health equity and health equality, right, has to do with how we address particular disparities that we see in our communities. So when it comes to these disparities involving underserved communities, public officials often refer to equality, right? This is the need to make sure that all communities have the same access to treatment, testing, and resources, for instance. This is a very important and a noble goal because by definition, underserved communities do not have the same access to positive health outcomes as privileged communities. And as public administrators, we need to do what we can to, play, to level the playing field. However, equity takes this idea a step further, right? So we need, in, when we're working towards equity, we need to strive for the highest level of health for all people giving special attention to those that are most disadvantaged. So in this model, we give specialized attention and supports to communities that need it most. The operative word here is specialized. To offer specialized assistance, we have to understand, again, the unique lived experience of individuals in those communities and provide the assistance that they need and require, which may be different than the needs of the general population.
0: Dr. Gatson, and I think that's an excellent definition that all of us should really think more seriously about um, the difference between equity and equality and this notion that equity is understood when we couple it with an understanding of a specialized nature and a specialized attention. And so I wanted to ask you, um, given the time period in which we're living, for instance, we're having this conversation at the end of April of 2020 And over um, a month ago, um, many states have put into place stay-at-home orders in response to the COVID-19 outbreak. And I guess in light of your discussion of health equity and health equality, I think it would be interesting if you could share with us some of your reflections on health services during this outbreak.
2: Sure. This is a challenging time for all of us. But the main thing that comes to mind when I think about this current pandemic that we're in is the the issue of privilege, right? So I'm privileged to have a job where I can seamlessly work from home with no impact to my pay. I have a home where I can isolate myself from my family for health reasons or for professional reasons such as this podcast. I have a work issue laptop with unlimited Wi-Fi in my home. I have a doctor on speed dial that I can call for the slightest discomfort. I have a car that can permit me to go through a drive through testing site in the comfort of my own vehicle, as opposed to waiting in a congested emergency room. I have a job that will pay me should I need to quarantine while I wait for my results. Right? So these are privileges that allow me relative physical and emotional safety at this time of global uncertainty and stress. And as we know, not everyone can enjoy these same privileges. So this issue of privilege is something that I'm constantly reminded of as I watch the news reports and as I watch how people are struggling through this global crisis.
0: I think that's really well stated. And, you know, I think that your point about you know, for those of us, and I think about this all the time, those of us who may be complaining, but yet we have the luxury of um, the ability to work from home, so really, to understand the privilege just embodied in that is is so important, but then you add on top of that all of the other privileges that you mentioned, and I think that really gets to the heart of the very definition that you originally uh, proposed to us regarding and the difference between equity and equality. Um, Something that's also been very troubling as I'm sure you've been following in the news is that African-Americans have been overrepresented for death due to COVID-19 in particular areas of the country. And based on your background, your knowledge, um, your education, what do you find or what do you think is behind this tragedy and what can the American public learn from this?
2: Yes, thank you for for asking that, that question because this is truly a troubling trend that we're seeing. Um, As we're starting to flatten the curve, um, for most Americans, um, this is becoming a heightened uh, issue uh, in many communities, especially in Black and brown communities. Um, It's a well-known adage in the African-American community that when white America catches a cold, Black America catches pneumonia. Institutional racism coupled with compounding social disadvantages often puts Black and brown people behind the starting line when faced with health crises such as the current pandemic right essential workers that must report to work to keep communities viable are disproportionately black and brown as are those of us that use public transportation and live in densely populated urban areas so the ability to say for instance social distance uh, is a privilege right speaking about these privileges that is not generally afforded right to these populations and so as public administrators it's our responsibility to develop alternative ways to help and protect these communities and refrain from blaming the victim right for failing to to act in socially prescribed ways so we need to think outside of the box right connecting with these communities to do what we can to help provide the necessary protections. So Dr.
0: Gadson, it seems as if you're really encouraging us and motivating us to move beyond blame of the individual to a focus on institutions and perhaps the structures that have laid foundations for these um, inequities. Absolutely. So privileges, the privilege versus the unprivileged.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So if you were um, to advise uh, public, nonprofit, and private organizations um, how to advance health equity during these challenging times, what would be some of the key strategies that you would encourage these organizations to put into place, especially to ensure that health services were available to all populations, so your understanding of equity rather than equality especially the most vulnerable?
2: The first step in advancing health equity is paying attention to the data. It's critical that we collect outcome data for our most vulnerable communities in situations such as this so that we have a clear understanding of the scope and nature of the problem. We were a bit behind in taking this step as it relates to this contemporary pandemic. Second, we need to dialogue with individuals within those communities. Don't assume what people need, right? Go to where individuals are, go to these communities, ask about their experiences, learn what is needed, and believe what they say, right? We need to collaborate to build dynamic solutions specific to those communities. And the third step is action right we can't just look at the data we can't just collect the information we have to take action right and so this is where allyship and courage also comes into play often comes into play for the public administrator right advocacy is often required to shift power and resources to marginalized populations public support and the distribution of resources is not a zero sum game But at the same time, an equitable solution requires an active effort to commit specialized attention to those that need it most. Take testing, for example. Ideally, we would want every community to have equal access to testing. This represents equality, and there are a number of initiatives, such as pop-up and mobile testing centers in vulnerable communities that are helping us reach this level of equity. an equitable approach is to also prioritize testing in those communities that are suffering the most. That might mean removing some of the focus and resources from more affluent communities that are better equipped to manage the virus and placing them in communities that are suffering the most. Take, for instance, the governor of West Virginia. He identified nursing home patients and workers as the most vulnerable populations in the state. The governor decided to shift the state's testing capacity to first test all nursing home residents and workers. This was a bold and courageous move, but it was necessary to promote equity in the state's response.
0: Yeah, Dr. Gatson, that's an excellent example, Um, the governor of West Virginia. And it it seems to me that the strategies that you lay out are so incredibly important, whether the organization is a public, private, or nonprofit, uh, organization because it involves doing an environmental scan first mm-hmm. most of the communities that are most hit, the most vulnerable, the most um, prone to be susceptible, and then an assessment of the needed resources. As you mentioned, I, I love this definition of equity and, and the specialized nature that equity brings to bear, but the ultimate goal is then to take action. So data-driven Um, response, a data-driven understanding of the situation at hand, talking to the people on the ground, and then taking action based on who's most vulnerable and which regions and communities need help the most. So I think that's an excellent um, set of strategies for any organization uh, to employ. And along those lines, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the course that you designed at Villanova University in our MPA program called Health Services Planning and Equity. And um, I think it would be great for those of us listening to hear about some of the themes of the course and what the course objectives are. So what, what do you ultimately hope the students to learn in that course?
2: Sure. Uh, This has been a really uh, successful course in the sense that students have had the opportunity to really think about conceptually the ways in which we design health services in the United States um, and abroad. So the primary theme of the course is understanding how issues of privilege, social power, and implicit bias influence our approach to planning and implementing population health initiatives again, in the United States and globally. So this might be looking at uh, how we determine where we should place, uh, for instance, community health centers in a particular uh, locality. It may look at the ways in which we implement uh, vaccine programs, Um, again, whether it be um, in the United States, locally or abroad, but basically thinking about um, and teasing out the assumptions that we make about populations, what, again, the needs of those populations might be, right? The framework from which we determine how we're going to serve those populations and the effectiveness of of those outcomes, right? So by shining a light on how issues such as implicit bias, again, privilege, social factors, Right. It uh, influenced the ways in which we make decisions about uh, health outcomes for uh, individuals. We force conversations within that that classroom discussion that challenge ourselves as public administrators to shift the scales towards equity in a socio political environment which prioritizes equality. Right. So looking at the problem of health disparities from this lens, sometimes it leaves us with a bit more questions than answers, right? Than, than we would want. Right. But it's an important self-reflective and intellectual exercise that leads to more em- empathic administration and administrators in the future.
0: I think that that what you just said about leading to more empathic administration is critical and Something that you earlier mentioned, which I'm really going to um, hold dear in terms of mulling over is this notion that social distancing is a privilege in and of itself. I think for many of us, those of us who are talking, those who are listening to this podcast, that's a really important thing for us to to consider. Um, So I think the fact that you get into, in the class, um, this movement or trying to have this shift occur from From equality to equity is so critically important, but it also makes a lot of sense because you can't treat each community exactly the same way, that they have specific needs, that they have histories, that they have structural inequalities that have underlaid um, their communities for decades, um, for decades long. So um, I think that's really important, and I would love to take your class. Maybe I'll sit in
2: sometime. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful.
0: <laughs> so um, my final question to you, and this has been a really fruitful conversation, and I just thank you for some of the insights that you've, um, that you've given all of us to, to mull over, is that as both a researcher and practitioner in the field of community health, what are the biggest lessons you have learned from the COVID-19 outbreak and if I could add just a, a short question to that, how do you think that's going to change your, your research and your teaching in any way?
2: Well, another really, really great, great question. So I'll start first with um, some of the, the biggest lessons and, and I have three that, that come to mind. First is uh, you know, to reemphasize this issue um, around data, right? We need to listen to the data, both historically and in the present epidemiologists saw this pandemic coming, right? They predicted the spread and, you know, while statistical models are rooted in, the, uh, in historical data, um, they're also pretty accurate as history tends to repeat itself, right? Generally speaking. And while there are always exceptions to the rule, as administrators, a good place to start is looking at the data and listening to your experts right? Listening to your experts. The information was there, and it's incumbent upon us to, again, as you had mentioned, to assess write the information, assess the data, do the environmental scan, and then take action uh, as, as early as possible. And so we've seen some good and bad examples of that um, throughout the pandemic, and, but that's certainly a lesson learned that, that I will carry uh, forward um, as a researcher and, and as a public administrator. The second thing is to be kind to yourself and one another. Right. This pandemic has brought out the best and worst of people um, as extreme situations often do, Um, but we have to recognize that there's a time for action and healing and there's a time for assessment. Right. So at this present moment. Right? This is not the time that we need to look backwards and point figures, fingers and um, look at the actions of individuals that might have led to a negative outcome. There will be plenty of time to assess what has happened and how things can be done differently in the future. People are dying today. People are impacted today. People are suffering today. It's okay to be focused in the present right, with the people that are around us be focused on our communities, in living in this moment of our communities, right? And to be concerned about the immediate future at this moment in time. There will be time for reflection. There will be time for fixing what happened in the past. But right now we need to take care of ourselves and one another. And then third, emergency preparedness is essential. It is just critical. Public administrators have taken the lead in implementing critical initiatives in health education and public safety during this time. As a field, we were ready and committed and have made a real difference in protecting and serving our communities. So I'm extremely proud of the role of public administrators that we've played in this pandemic, especially those of us that are part of the Villanova MPA community. So this has really been a time of challenge, but we have stepped up to the challenge as public administrators, and it makes me extremely proud of of the work that we do to serve our to serve our communities.
0: Yeah, Dr. Gadsden, I can't agree with you more. And we have been day after day reminded of the incredible work that our community is engaged in, whether um, as emergency responders, healthcare professionals, um, you know, anyone who's who's dealing with this. Um, And something that you mentioned about the importance of the present and waiting to reflect on maybe some of the issues and problems that went awry, I think that's so important. I'm reminded of um, something that Jose Andres says, who runs the World Central Kitchen, helping provide food to people who are out of work and after disasters. He calls it the urgency of now. And he talks about hunger and thirst can't wait there's an urgency of now. And I I think that you're mentioning and you're driving that same point home. Health can't wait. Health needs to be taken care of now. And and I think if there is a data-driven position that is adopted that can help us to employ important procedures and protocols in the present, then we are gonna be better prepared to meet something like this. Um, Hopefully not of the same um, caliber or um, seriousness, but that we can be better prepared for any future outbreaks or occurrences.
2: I absolutely agree. That's a wonderful reflection.
0: So we are so fortunate to have you teaching in our program, Dr. Gadson, and to be working with you. And this was such a fruitful conversation and I'm gonna walk away with, um, you know, some some thoughts myself and, some of the things that you mentioned really ring true. And um, I think that this is actually going to provide a lot of great strategic insight to organizations as to what we learn from this and how best to prepare for the next challenge that we face as public administrators. So I just wanna thank you for coming and for your wonderful insights.
2: Well, thank you uh, for listening and thank you for having me. And I learned so much from you uh, as well. It's always great to have these types of discussions um, to further our understanding of these important issues that we face as public administrators.
0: Thanks so much, Dr. Gather.
2: Thank you.